0: as others which have no hope. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so them also which sleep in Jesus will God bring with Him. For this we say unto you by the word of the Lord, that we which are alive and remain unto the coming of the Lord shall not prevent them which are asleep. For the Lord Himself shall descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, with the trump of God, and the dead in Christ shall rise first. Then which we are, Then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so shall we ever be with the Lord. Wherefore, comfort one another with these words. Now we've seen already in verse 13 sort of the motivation of letting the people, the believers, know during this time clearly what had happened is that they had lost some Christians, they had passed away, and they were all expecting the return of the Lord to be imminent, and it still is imminent. Uh, Some 2,000 years later, we we, uh, should be expecting His calling us out of here But for them, they were getting concerned that those who had gone on, those who had passed already, might be prevented in their day of resurrection or that they might lose out on some sort of reward or blessing from it. We'll get into some of that today, uh, Lord willing. And and then in verse 14, uh, we see the gospel clearly presented once more as the overarching theme of the entire Christian life. It is not just a doctrine, it is the doctrine, right? Woven throughout everything in our life and all of our orthodoxy and all of our doctrine and all of our practice, there is the gospel. But we also find the promise at the end of it that those who are asleep in Jesus, those who are the dead in Christ, God will bring with him on that day. Now, verses 15 and 16 is where we're going to get into today. Verse 15 shows us that Paul begins to reveal the revelation of the resurrection of the dead in Christ, which he had been shown by the Lord. He says, for this we say unto you, by the word of the Lord. Now, this is something that he has been saying already up to this point, right? He had said it earlier on in chapter four. He says, furthermore, then we beseech you, brethren, and exhort you by the Lord Jesus. Here's the idea is that he is not speaking on his own behalf. He is not speaking his own truth. He is not coming up with his own doctrines. Paul is speaking what God has revealed to him and given to him, first and foremost in the written word. And secondly, what we're going to see is that this appears to be that Paul himself, and specifically Paul, the apostle, had been given this direct information by the Lord Jesus Christ in a time of teaching to give to the church. The resurrection of the dead in Christ and the rapture of the living church was always meant to be uh, the motivation of the church to live our Christian life and as well to be where we place our eyes, our hope, our focus upon the future. Because for them, the future was imminent, meaning it could happen any time, any day, any hour, any second. But they also knew it had not yet come to pass. So it was something that they longed for. It was something that they lived for. And as well, it should be for us today. MacDonald writes, He received this as direct revelation of the Lord. We're not told how he received it, whether by a vision, by an audible voice, or by an inward impression of the Holy Spirit. But it is definitely a truth unknown to men up to that time. There was still much mystery uh, even then as much as there is now. However, what we do know is as the day approaches, as we get closer and closer, what the Bible seems to teach us is that Many of these things will begin to be revealed and and will become enlightened to us, not by some sort of uh, mysticality or anything like this, but rather by the Word of God and the Holy Spirit of God who opens up our eyes to the Word, applies the Word to our heart, teaches us the Word, uh, corrects us by the Word. And so what we've got to see is the importance here, even for them in the early church, and the importance for us today is to live a life with two things constant in our life. The Word of God By the Spirit of God. That's it. That is our Christian life. That is our Christian walk. Now this was a mystery that had been made known and and what you can clearly see, and we'll go back to this passage several times, but in 1 Corinthians 15, Paul says, Behold, I show you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall be changed. And so Paul here was clearly revealing what had been revealed to him. He says, for this we say to you by the word of the Lord. This is also authority. It is showing that this is God's very word given through Paul. We've got to understand that the early church, God was still using those men, those apostles, those men of the New Testament to write out and to give us the full, final, complete word of God that you and I have now preserved to us in our own language that we can hold in our lap, that we can have multiple copies of, that we can have in different languages and all these different things. Word of God is precious. And as it should be, it was for them. They hung on to every word that was spoken because they needed to know God all the more. They needed the encouragement to continue to press on and to look forward to that coming day. For this was saying to you by the word of the Lord, that we which are alive and remain unto the coming of the Lord shall not prevent them which are asleep. So here now, he talks specifically about those two groups of people. One, the first group is us, if you will, right? If the rapture happens today, that's us who are alive and remain. We're not going to prevent those which are asleep in Christ. As a matter of fact, he's going to get into the very next uh, verse, and he's talked about this already, uh, alluding to this, that those who are dead in Christ will rise first. They will be resurrected before we are raptured. Now, Uh, The Bible Knowledge Commentary writes and says, Not only will the souls of the dead in Christ return with him, but their bodies will also be resurrected at his coming. The bodies of the dead Christians will be resurrected immediately before living Christians are conveyed upward. Clearly, Paul believed that he and his Thessalonian readers might well be alive when the Lord returned. He believed that the rapture was imminent and that it could take place at any moment. And this truth of imminency brought comfort as it should today. Now, when you and I think about the end times or eschatology, here's what I have for many Christians. When they talk to me about things and doctrines, normally the one that they're concerned about the most is end times. Normally the one that they're confused about the most is also end times. Here's the the problem of our day. We are so hyper-focused on the end times being viewed out of the world around us than we are what the Bible tells us it's going to be. We get fixated on the politics, the economics, the, the world, the, the, the rumors of wars and the wars and the earthquakes and the famines and the different things that we see throughout the world. And we get so hyper-fixated on those things that we forget to fixate on the only thing that matters, and that is Christ. It is not the Antichrist that matters in this grand scheme. It is Jesus, the Christ, the Lamb of God. He's all the only one that matters. As a matter of fact, in the early church... None of them were looking around at the world around them, anticipating then the coming. They were looking at the sheer fact that Jesus said he would come. You and I, the thing that promises us that Jesus is coming soon, quickly, perhaps even in our day, is not that things are getting worse here in America. It's that the Bible says it's going to happen. Now, we've got to understand things are going to get worse here in America. How do you know? Sin is rampant. It's all over the world, by the way, though. The world seems to be collapsing and slowly moving to a day of chaos. Now, this is important, though, that it does this. And we're going to get into this in 2 Thessalonians. There has to be this great falling away. What is a falling away? Well, it's not the world. The world has already fallen, but it's in the church, and it's happening all around us. But furthermore, with this falling away in the church, there are several things that have to happen. There has to be this... Continued falling away of those who claim to know Christ. And there's a great many who claim to know Him and don't. There's a great many who claim to be Christians. You know, there's 2 billion alleged Christians in the world today. I don't believe it. We say, why would you not believe it? If they're claiming on statistics and all these things. If there were 2 billion Christians out of 8 billion people, do you think the world would be in the shape that it's in? I don't think so. Not with the influence that a Christian, a real Christian, should be. So that either says, one, that there are two billion Christians out there, and they are just not living as they ought to, as light and salt, or there's not actually two billion Christians. I believe that one's probably the more likely of the two. But the rest of the world is going to continue to go into a place of chaos, destruction, disorder, a place that is going to if you will, blow up so it can be rebuilt and there's going to be a guy that comes in on the scene and is going to say, I've got all the answers to your problems. I'm going to take care of everything. I'm going to bring about peace. It's going to be an antichrist. Now, we've got to understand that the world is going to be duped. It's duped already. There's many who are condemned and duped already because they refuse to believe the word of God. And sadly, there are many who claim to know Christ, but they too are being duped and being wrapped up and drawn into the things of the world instead of looking to the Scripture. I know this sounds so elementary of late as we've looked in sunny school and, and, and worship services, but there is such an importance on being and knowing and living the Word of God. This is our bread. We need this for every portion of our life. We must as well, because the Bible teaches us this, believe that the coming of the Lord is imminent. Any day. Now, we see in the Scripture where Jesus says, surely I come quickly. Now, you and I think about quickly and quickness. It is a suddenness as the idea. It will be sudden as a thief in the night, if you will. But even more than that, it's going to happen so rapidly that there will be no time to pause time or to think about things or to go through and go, well, you know, uh, maybe I need to get things right now or oh, what's that great big light in the sky? Let me get this right real quick. Both verses here, well really, verses 14, 15, 16, and 17 are that quickly. Now you and I can't read those verses that quickly, but the events that are taking place worldwide, there, like that. And when will they happen? I don't know. We are not told. We're simply told that they're going to happen. Now this is the problem. Because now with that information, you and I have a couple choices. One, we can be like the scoffers and say, well, we've always said the Lord's going to come back, so maybe he's just not going to. He hasn't come back yet. That's a danger. One, because it's a denial of Scripture. And two, you lose every bit of motivation to even live this life as a Christian. What's the point if he's not coming back? What's the point if I'm just going to die and not be resurrected? What's the point if I'm going to have to go through the tribulation? There is no point, Right. But as well, we've got to look and understand that if we get into this sort of mentality, we're going to be in some rough shape. Thomas writes, proper Christian anticipation provides for the imminent return of Christ. His coming will be sudden and unexpected in any moment possibility. No divinely revealed prophecies remain to be fulfilled before that event without setting a deadline. Paul hopes that it will transpire in his own lifetime. Let me ask us this morning, do we hope that it happens in our lifetime? We should. You know, there's sometimes that we truthfully don't live quite like that. We often want to live our, our life. We want to continue to live our life. And the reason being is because we have tied ourselves so much down to this world that it feels much more like home than eternity does. This world is not our home. Jesus said his kingdom is not of this world. We are not meant to live. In this fallen world, or in this fallen flesh, forever. As a matter of fact, the moment we got saved, the moment we trusted Christ, the promise and the assurance that was given to us that we one day would put off this mortal flesh, this sinful flesh. If not, then what in the world is it all for? Jesus says that tells us all about this. He's the first fruits of the resurrection, that it's because of His resurrection that we are promised a resurrection or if we are alive and remaining, to be snatched out, to be called out, to be translated as it used to be referred to with this doctrine. This is saying to you by the Word of the Lord, that we which are alive and remain unto the coming of the Lord shall not prevent them which are asleep. Two words bear comment. The word translated as coming is parousia. And is the word often used for the return of our Lord. The word translated as prevent, thathano, has the sense to come before or to proceed. Moreover, this statement is backed by the authority of the word of the Lord. We who survive those dead in Christ at his coming will not precede them in the resurrection. And here is why. Because of this word, we find that the assurance is for those Thessalonian Christians. They're going, hey, Paul, we've got some questions. They sent it back with Timothy. They're going, we're kind of confused about this. You know, sister and brother and uh, you know, sister so-and-so and brother so-and-so, they, they've died. When, when Jesus calls us out of here, when he returns for us, are we going to prevent them? Are we going to go first? Are they going to be left in the ground because they've died? And here, the Lord clearly makes this clear for them. No, the answer is no. You won't prevent them. You won't precede them. You won't go before them. They have died in Christ. They are safe and secure. Furthermore, the understanding of prevent is not only to go before, but to be advantaged. The concern for the Thessalonians is that those who had already died would be disadvantaged to those who are alive with Christ when Christ returns. Now, this was their idea and understanding. Okay, so if the Lord comes back, Paul, today we're going to be, poof, we're up. We're up and out of here, right? I got a friend of mine, a pastor friend of mine, who says, when the horn toots, we will scoot, right? <laughs> that's one way of putting it. You know, that's that's my friend. But but when warned that day, they were concerned of, Are we going to go before them? And then is just nothing going to happen to them? Are we at a better advantage than they are? What about brother so-and-so? He was a faithful deacon or a faithful pastor or just a faithful Christian. What's going to happen to him? Is he just going to be left behind? Is his body just going to be left to rot? Will there be resurrection for him? And here this passage makes it abundantly clear. And this is the very reason why we read it, or at least why I read it, and preach it at graveside services. Because you and I at a graveside, we stand around, we've got the... We've got the, the you know, the, the, the whole, the body, the whole thing. We're all gathered around. We, everyone's sad. Everyone's still just weeping, even at times, right? And then what happens? We read this passage. Why? Because you're about to put this into the ground, and you're not going to see that casket anymore. You're not going to go. You're not going to even see the casket, so it means you're not going to see the body anymore. You go, What? where's our hope? Well, the hope is that we are simply putting this body to rest until this day of the parousia, the Lord's return. Then those who have died in Christ will be gone. Now, I love this portion of a funeral service. It sounds so odd to say that I like a funeral service in the first place. But for those who know Christ, I love that reminder of standing around that grave. Because it's a reminder that if the Lord returned right then and right there, I'm underneath the funeral home's little tent there, the wind's blowing, people are standing around. Well, He's coming up, and then I'm going. What a sight that would be. What a moment that would be. Now, you and I don't think of that because there in that moment we're grieving. We're sad. And here the Thessalonians knew about grief, but he had said because of the resurrection, because of the rapture, we don't sorrow as if we don't have any hope. As a matter of fact, because of the resurrection, because of the rapture of the church, those who are alive and remain, we have the only hope that there is. Outside of that, there is no hope. If there was no resurrection of the dead in Christ, there would be no hope. If there was no rapture of the church, there would be no hope. For those that don't believe in a rapture, I feel awfully sorry for them. They have no hope. Their only hope is that either one, the tribulation isn't real, or two, they go through it and die quickly. That's an awful thought, isn't it? I'm thankful that if I kill over now, I'm going to beat y'all up there. You bury me, guess what? I'm going up first, and I'll see you in the air. It's going to be okay. And then I know this as well. If y'all beat me there. (laughs) And guess what? I'll see you in the air still. If I'm alive and remaining, if the Lord came today, gone. It's a hope, a confidence, an assurance. There's a reason why it used to be called that blessed hope. And it still should be. Hebert writes, the living will have no advantage over those fallen asleep. They will not meet the returning Christ ahead of the dead, nor will they have any precedence in the blessedness at his coming. I'm thankful that we are as secure as secure can be in Christ, whether dead or alive. When Jesus comes back, we shall be caught up to be with him. Translated either from being dead or being alive and to be glorified in a new body, in a new home with our Lord. And so shall we ever be. Furthermore, as we look into verse 16, he starts to give some of the details. Paul gives the details of the resurrection of the dead in Christ, which will take place before the rapture of the living church. Now, understand this. When we say before, we're not thinking of, all right, today's Sunday, resurrection of the dead here, and then Tuesday afternoon we'll rapture the church. There's no no gap in time there, right? It's not one month to another. It's not one year to another. It's... Right? Quickly. The blink of an eye. I can't fathom what that looks like. I can't fully wrap my brain around it, but I trust it. Why? It's right here. And furthermore, if it's not right here, then I'm going to be really miserable. I trust and put my hope in this, that God is going to fulfill His word. Why? Because from Genesis to 1 Thessalonians, He's fulfilled His word. From 1 Thessalonians to Revelation, he's going to continue to do so. Why would he change at 1 Thessalonians? He's not going to. Paul gives the details here. We see this. For the Lord himself. I love that. He's not sending anyone else on his behalf. He's not sending the apostles on white horses into the clouds to go, Hey, y'all, come on up here. It's nice. No. He's not sending uh, any of the, the twelve tribes down. He's not sending any of His favorite preachers down. None of that. The Lord Himself. The King is coming for His people. The Bridegroom coming for His bride. In verse 15, Paul referred to the coming of the Lord as a parousia, a term that commonly meant the glorious coming of a deity, or the official visit of a sovereign to a city, a king to the city, who himself was often honored as divine. An imperial visit was an event of great pomp and magnificent celebrations, with rich banquets, speeches that praised the imperial visitor, a visit to the local temple, uh, the local temple, rich donations, celebrating of games. Uh, sacrifices statues dedicated and arches and other buildings constructed money was minted to commemorate the event crowns of gold might be given and at times a new era was inaugurated as we will see in the exposition of verse 17 the officials and a multitude of people would head out of the city to receive the one who came all dressed with special clothing in verse 16 the apostle describes the glory of the pomp that will accompany the parousia of the lord while assuring the Thessalonians that all Christians, both the living and the dead, will participate in this grand event. Here's the idea. The king is coming, and he's coming himself. He's not sending an ambassador to gather up his children, to gather up his people. He is coming himself. Now, we're going to get into this when we get into verse 17 probably next week, because I want to spend more time on it. But I believe that this is much more and even better than a king coming. Now, let me ask you this. How is Jesus represented in Revelation? Towards the end, the King of kings, the Lord of lords, right? He's coming as a conqueror. But here's what we find, I believe, is even more critical. While much of the usage in the day that this was written, the word parousia might have given the idea of the coming of a king, the coming of someone like that for a grand celebration and that people would come out of town and all of these things, this would be a big pomp and circumstance sort of event to celebrate the coming of this one imperial. Even ones that they often worship because many times they had to. Here's what you and I find. The Lord Himself is coming. He's not just a king, He's the king. He's not just a Lord, He's the Lord. He's not a person merely. He is the God-man. He is the lamb of God, He is the one who took our place. He is our Savior, the promised seed given long ago. He is Christ Jesus the Lord. So the message is this for you and I. The King is coming. You and I are now to be heralds. As a matter of fact, what it means to be a preacher of the gospel is that very idea to preach and proclaim that there is one who is coming. You and I, what's our message today? Christ has come. He died. He rose again. And He's coming back. Notice that the key is that Christ has come. and Christ is coming. It is His visit to us. Why? Because we can't get to Him. Matter of fact, the only way we can get to Him is because He came to us. We find the initiative. We find the authority because it is the Lord who chose to do such for us. We can't make a ladder high enough. We can't make stairs high enough. We can't make an elevator big enough. We can't get there. He came to us to die for us and He's coming again for those He has bought by His blood. Those who have been cleansed by His blood. Those who have been clothed in His righteousness. Christ will positionally And personally gather His people unto Himself. Now this is important because the Lord Himself shall descend from heaven. This tells us a couple things. Where is He at right now? Heaven. What's He doing in heaven? Is He not working? No, He's working. In fact, He told His disciples, I'm going to go and prepare a place for you. He's interceding on my behalf right now. Every moment of your life, someone is praying for you. They just might be named Jesus. Now that should encourage us. The Lord is ever at work as prophet, priest, and king on our behalf, interceding with His precious blood, with the very prayers on our behalf. And we understand this. You say, well, you know, I'm saved. So why do I need Him to intercede for me? Because I am still here in this flesh. I won't need Him to intercede when I'm with Him. Why? Because I'm with Him. And nobody will be with Him in eternity who has not been translated from this mortal, this corruptible, and put on immortality and corruption. So until that day, until I either am dead in Christ or until the rapture of the church, He will ever intercede and plead for me on my behalf. But Jesus will leave His current position of being seated at the right hand of the Father making intercession for us and personally meet His resurrected and raptured people in the clouds as was foretold. Matter of fact, when He ascended up, He looked down. Why do you look up here? You're looking up here. so astonished, so amazed. The same Jesus is coming back in the clouds. Furthermore, we find this Old Testament, New Testament. We see this promise coming to pass and it's the Lord Himself who will do it. Now, we've got to begin here, and I'm going to get more into it next week. The church is called the body of Christ, correct? But it's also called the bride of Christ. We're not merely talking about a king coming to visit the town. Now, this would be a special event, right? Now, you might, anybody when you were a kid, did you ever get to have like a senator or a congressman or the president come to your town and you get to see him in like a motorcade. You get to wave at him. anybody? What couple, right? Now, you might remember, whether you like that president or not, I don't even know, but you, you thought it was something neat, worthwhile to at least look. It's, oh, hey, wow, they're important, right? You wave a little, right? You throw some candy out or something for the parade. Here, this is bigger than a president... Bigger than a queen. This is bigger than anybody or anything. This is the God of the universe stepping into the clouds to gather up his saints. Now, that's a wonderful thought, but it's better than that. This is not just a king coming down to stoop down into the clouds to gather up the paupers of which he saved by his own blood. That's Something wonderful. This is the groom coming for the bride. We're going to get into it next week, some of the details about it, the way in which this would take place. Those of you that got married, how many of y'all were a groom before? How many of you were a bride? How many of you aren't sure? Right, that's okay. All right. Try it again. (laughs) But when you were a groom, I remember this. Our wedding day was... It was, just felt like it just flew by. But I remember it was a big deal when she walked in. Not when I walked in. Matter of fact, I was walking out before I went out, and Mainland talking to everybody, and they're like, hey, shouldn't you go to the, the back? Yeah, yeah, I'll get back. Hey, how you, good to see. Oh, glad you made it, right? Finally go to the back, and then I come in. Nobody stood for me. They kind of looked and they're like, well, you know, he did the best he could. He looks all right. But when she walked in, everybody stood. Here's, Here's the idea. The Lord Jesus, who is the groom, the bridegroom, he's going to stand for his bride when he brings her home. He's going to call her to be with him. And so shall we ever be. Now, we think about this. If this word is simply understanding the idea of a coming king. Well, that's nice. That's a great thing to look at and to admire. But this is more personal, isn't it? Let me ask you what's a close relationship? You and the president, or you and your spouse? You and the spouse. Same here. This shows a deeper closeness that He is calling us to be with Him never to leave His side again. He says, with the voice of the archangel, with the trump of God, the dead in Christ shall rise first. So here's what we know about this. The shout of the Lord, voice of the archangel, and the trump of God. What we know about this is the Lord Himself will call and gather His people together to be with Him with urgency and authority. It's the idea of come up hither. Like God tells to John in Revelation. Look up hither. We're going to go quick. To be with Him. There's urgency. But there's His will authority. It will be the time that you and I who are in Christ It will be the first time that He tells us to do something that we won't have the option to disobey. If you are saved, you're going up. And there's not a thing you can do about it. And that gives me hope. That gives me assurance. Because I've given Him every reason to put an anchor on my leg and to not let me go up. But praise the Lord whether I die, or whether He returns I will go see my Lord. Not by any work that I have done. Matter of fact, all the works that I have done have proven as to why He had to come and die for me anyways. So therefore, what we're going to find is this. Not one of us are worthy to be a part of the bride of Christ, but on that day you and I will hear the bridegroom call for His bride and we shall go. Christ translates those who are dead in him first, then he will translate the living saints. We'll get into that in verse 17. And all of this will take place rapidly and can be further seen in detail in 1 Corinthians 15, 51 through 58, that mystery that Paul reveals the moment and the twinkling of an eye, a trump shall sound, and we're out of here. Today, we're gonna to put a pause and close it there. But I want to encourage you today. Remember that Christ is coming. That is our message to the world today. But it is as well the motivation to live until we die or He comes. Let it not be something that causes us to be ignorant or confused or frightened, but rather to be the thing that drives us to trust in Him that has our hearts gaze upward to the Lord everything in this life and look forward to that day when we get to be with Him. Let's pray. Lord, we love You. We thank You for this time. We're grateful that we can gather. We can look to Your Word. Help us, O Lord, to have this as the message that we proclaim and the motivation of our heart. Lord, we pray that You would prepare us now for this worship service. God, that You would be glorified and honored through it. Lord, that You would be with those who are being baptized. That You would be with us as we partake uh, of the Lord's Supper today. God, that our hearts would be clean and pure before You. And Lord, that You would uh, just answer our prayers, Lord, that Your Word would go forth and would accomplish great things. Lord, we ask for a mighty move of You today. We ask for Your presence to be known. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, y'all, we'll take a pause for the cause.